This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Learning True Understanding. In the first half, Robert D. Hales shares his address, Understandings of the Heart. Then in the second half, Gary E. Stevenson speaks on Lean Not Unto Thine Own Understanding. I'd like to talk today about the understandings of the heart and the learning process. Each time I come to Brigham Young University, I realize that I'm standing before a royal army, prepared to go out and be in the world and not of the world. BYU is an exceptional university of learning because it was founded on the premise that all subjects taught here would be taught with a special spirit of learning. Yes, a a special spirit of learning that would allow you to develop your gifts and your talents and prepare each of you for the tests of life, enabling those who come here to be temporally and spiritually self-sufficient, not just for their own goals and creature comforts, but to stand strong on higher ground to lift, to help, and to serve others. The purpose of life you are preparing to meet the tests of mortal life. We voluntarily came from the presence of God the Father to this mortal probation with free agency, knowing we would have opposition in all things. Our objective is to take upon us the whole armor and withstand the fiery darts of the adversary with our sword of spirit and shield of faith, to endure to the end and be worthy to stand and live in the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ for all eternities to achieve what is called eternal life. What is our preparation for the tests of life? Most of you are in your third decade of learning. The first two decades were years of development and growth in preparation for this third critical decade of learning. This is a period of your life to prepare for the tests of future years. How do you prepare for the tests to come? With all thy getting, get understanding. We are told in the Bible, the book of Proverbs outlines a progression of learning that is important to all of us. We are taught that basic intelligence and worldly knowledge which is learned are the beginnings for our progression to wisdom. Wisdom being the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as stated in Proverbs. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. A wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto counsel." Again, Proverbs 1 and 5. From wisdom, if we will listen to wise counsel and take the teachings to our hearts, we will gain the understanding in our hearts to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding, again in Proverbs, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Lift us up thy voice for understanding. If thou speakest her as a, if thee seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom; out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Proverbs two, verses two through six. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs 4 and 7. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Again, Proverbs. When we've done wrong, Solomon's advice is, My son, despise not the chastenings of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. The difference between intelligence and knowledge at the lower end of the hierarchy of learning and wisdom, which comes through life's experiences, turning us to the Lord and ultimately to learning in our hearts, is shown again in Proverbs in a simple scripture. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. There is a great deal of difference between raw intelligence, knowledge, wisdom, and finally, the understanding in which the Lord established the heavens. This learning process applies to all of us, but especially to you who are studying at this unique university, because this university recognizes the progression of learning that begins with God-given innate intelligence. It recognizes knowledge through your courses of study, then the attainment of wisdom, recognizing obedience to laws, ordinances, and commandments, ultimately leading to an understanding in your hearts of true gospel principles that far exceed the teaching of men. This education leads us to our gifts and talents in selfless service, helping others, and caring for the needy. The importance of understanding in one's heart is that our faith in believing becomes a full knowledge of understanding, and it causes us to control our actions. In three decades of counseling, I have become aware of many ways we may be tested. Here are but a few tests of those assembled here today that you may face in your lives. Will you be prepared? How will you respond? The test for some will be single, possibly lonely. Are you prepared to be self-sufficient and productive, and are you prepared to help others, even though you are lonely and hurting? The test for some will be being married to the wrong person, resulting in abuse and divorce. Then the test will be to provide for a family without a partner's support. Some will have the test of not being able to have a child. The test may come even when you have lived faithfully, abided by moral laws and commandments of chastity, faithfulness, fidelity, and love to an eternal companion. A sobering thought, but one that should be noted in your prayers, is the national studies that have shown that about one in five men and two in five women will have complications or will be unable to have children. Sometimes a physical law will circumvent a spiritual goal which you may have, and you may have the, to consider the alternative adoption. The test is not to base your testimony on one goal or allow the bitter disappointment to prevent you from enjoying your companionship and greater goal of eternal progression together. The test for some will be having the children, 
who will both be a joy and the trial of your life. Some will have the test of being widowed or experience the death of a loved one. The test is not to become angry and blame your departed one who left you alone, to blame God for allowing it to happen, or to blame yourself for having done something to cause the death. All of these are common in the years in which I have dealt with these tests of others. Some will have the test of illness and poor health. Some will have friends and companions betray a trust. For some, the test will be financial woes of employment failure, economic depression, unwise investments. We are all vulnerable. Invulnerability. Wouldn't we all like to avoid the tests and trials of this mortal probation? Achilles, one of the heroes of Greek mythology, was the hero of Homer's Iliad. In addition to Homer's historical account of Achilles, later authors developed fables or folklore about Achilles and his mother, Thetis. Thetis, in an attempt to make Achilles immortal, concealed him by night in fire and anointed him by day with ambrosia. According to some accounts, Thetis also endeavored to make Achilles immortal by dipping him in the river Styx in Greece. She succeeded in making Achilles invulnerable, immortal, with the exception of the ankles by which she held him. Achilles grew up to be an invincible warrior, leading the Greek army against Troy. The death of Achilles is mentioned in the Odyssey. He is said to have been killed by Apollo, either in the likeness of Paris or by an arrow of Paris directed by Apollo to his only vulnerable part of his body, his ankle. Wouldn't every mother like to find the secret protection for her child, making them invulnerable from the fiery darts of the adversary? Unfortunately, we cannot protect ourselves from the slings and arrows of misfortune. In fact, we're told to carry the shield of faith to protect us from the fiery darts of the adversary. We also know from Lehi's advice to his son Jacob that there must be opposition in all things in this mortal probation. A basic reason for our learning experience in this life is to enable us to endure to the end. Our challenges, learning experiences, and opposition are supposed to strengthen us, not defeat or destroy us. Joseph Smith pled with the Lord in Liberty Jail for the suffering saints. Joseph, with several companions, had been in Liberty Jail under miserable circumstances for several months. He pled, O God, where art thou? How long shall thy hand be stayed, thy pure eye behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people, and thy ear be penetrated with their cries? How long shall they suffer the wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened toward them and thy bowels be moved with compassion toward them? The Lord's clear answer was calming. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a moment. And then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high, thou shalt triumph over thy foes." End of quote. Our hurts, as difficult as they are to endure and as unbearable as they are and seem to us in the present tense of time, are in the Lord's eternal perspective but a small moment. The test is whether we endure the adversity and affliction well without losing our faith and breaking commandments. Joseph was told in his difficult circumstances 
that God shall give unto you knowledge by the Holy Ghost, yea, by the unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost. We have that same gift if we will but remain faithful. How important it is during troubled times, when we are tested, that we do not do anything to lose the Holy Ghost's gentle persuasions, comfort, and peace that will give us assurance to make the correct choices in life in order to weather the storm and bring us closer to God's ways, not man's ways. Joseph was told, Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. Thou shalt not be like Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression, as they did Job. Our friends are important at all times, especially in times of need, when we are depressed with a feeling of loneliness and despair. Choosing our friends wisely is important. In times of trouble, do your friends stand by you? What kind of a friend or companion are you? Often we choose our friends by their physical appearance and personalities. The best dancer, fashionable clothes, geographic home area, city or rural, east or west, athletic ability, the sharpest car, the most handsome, the most beautiful, charming personality, the most intelligent, the richest or the poorest, are just a few of the criteria for selecting dates and friends. These are all superficial. The first test of friendship and companionship is knowing that in their company it is easier to live according to the commandments you have been taught and know how important it is to your happiness. The second test of real friendship and companionship is whether you are asked as a condition of this friendship and companionship to choose between their way and the Lord's way. For example, true friendship does not exist if a condition of that friendship is to participate in breaking moral laws, word of wisdom, with phrases like, try it just once. Everyone does it. Who is going to know? Show me that you really love me. Please choose your friends carefully. My point in naming a few of the tests we face is to remind you that blessings come after the trial of our faith and that the opposition is given an essential element in our mortal probation and spiritual growth. Even though we are as perfect as Job, yet Job suffered the loss of his material possessions. His sons and daughters were taken from him. Boils from head to foot were inflicted as painful physical tests and depression as a mental test. In his depression, Job said, my soul is weary of life. I will speak in bitterness of my soul. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. At one point he said, I never should have seen the light of day from my mother's womb. I am full of confusion. In all of Job's trouble, he wept for him that was in trouble, and his soul grieved for the poor. The mark of a great man. In all Job's trials, he kept his testimony that his Redeemer liveth. And at the end of the first chapter of Job, it says, He sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. When we are marred spiritually or physically, our first reaction is withdrawn to dark shadows of depression, to blot out hope and joy 
the light of life which comes from knowing we are living the commandments of our Father in heaven. This withdrawal will ultimately lead us to rebellion against those who would like to be our friends, those who can help us most, even our own family. But worst of all, we finally reject ourselves. Those who are alone and lonely should not retreat to the sanctuary of their private thoughts and chambers. Such retreat will ultimately lead them into the darkening influence of the adversary, which leads to despondency, loneliness, frustration, and to thinking of themselves as worthless. After one thinks of himself as worthless, he then oftentimes turns to associates who will corrode those delicate spiritual contacts, rendering their spiritual receiving antennas and transmitters useless. What good is it to associate and to ask advice of someone who is disoriented himself and only tells us what we want to hear? Isn't it better to turn to loving parents, friends, associates, who can help us reach for and attain celestial goals? Quote, and he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but they understood not, and see ye indeed, but they perceived not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and be healed. What can you do to prepare yourself during your college years for the tests and trials of life? First, you must learn to work hard towards your goals, to pray for strength and guidance in your daily decisions, always acknowledging Thy will be done. Second, study the scriptures, history, biographic literature, and psychology to give you an insight on how others have met life's challenges and, with a testimony, endured to the end. Third, select friends and an eternal companion in whom you can seek counsel and will lift you and make life easier to live the commandments by just being with them. I have been so chosen to have a companion who lives. Learn to be of service and help to others in their tests, no matter how busy you are or how much you're hurting from your tests and trials of your faith. Fifth, learn that even in a perfect life, the tests and trials will come. But remember that you too can bring affliction upon yourself and those near you through your own actions and be willing to accept the actions which you take and the consequences which come and don't blame it on God. Learn that when you have made a mistake, regrets are not enough. Feeling sorry is not enough unless your sorrow brings about a remorse of conscience and a change of heart resulting in true repentance. Learn that true education is not only test scores and grade point averages but also gaining wisdom through life's experiences, listening to sound counsel, gaining an understanding in your heart, and caring for others less fortunate. Then no amount of temptation, tests, trials, or coercion can make you depart from the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. You have to learn that in mortal probation you are here for tests and trials even though your life is perfect. I repeat for emphasis. 9. Learn to know yourself while you're at this university. You're in a laboratory 
which simulates the world with individual competition and the inner stress of learning. There will never be a better time in your life to have the contemplation and introspection needed to know yourself. Take time to ponder who you are and act accordingly. General education requirements are not only to give a well-rounded education, but also an opportunity to assess your intellectual and spiritual strengths and weaknesses. What are your God-given gifts and talents? Elder Bruce R. McConkie in his book The Mortal Messiah has said, Being subject to law and having their agency, all the spirits of men, while yet in the eternal presence, developed aptitudes, talents, capabilities, and abilities to even sort, kind, and degree. During the long expanse of life, which then was, an infinite variety of talents and abilities came into being. As the ages rolled on, no two spirits remained alike. Mozart became a musician. Einstein centered his interest in mathematics. Michelangelo turned his attention to painting. Cain was a liar, a schemer, a rebel who maintained a close affinity to Lucifer. Abraham and Moses and all of the prophets sought and obtained the talent of spirituality. Mary and Eve were two of the greatest of all spirit daughters of the Father. The whole house of Israel, known and segregated out from their fellows, were inclined towards spiritual things. And so it went through all the hosts of heaven, each individual developing each talent and ability as his soul desired. The Lord endowed us all with agency. He gave us laws that would enable us to advance and progress and become like him, and he counseled and exhorted us to pursue the course leading to glory and exaltation. He himself was the embodiment and personification of all good things. Every desirable characteristic trait dwelt in him in its eternal fullness. All of his obedient children started to become like him in one way or another. There was as great a variety and degree of talent and ability among us there as there is among us here. Some excelled in one way, others in another. The firstborn excelled all of us in all things." End of quote. Have you given yourself an honest chance to develop your natural skills, or are you limiting your development to the requirements for graduation or a profession without assessing how you will make the greatest contribution and be the happiest during your sojourn on life. Before a 70s quorum meeting a few years ago, one of the 70s was asked if he could play the piano. His response was classic, I don't know, I've never tried to play the piano. Your university educational experience should be a microcosm of life. For this reason, if the opportunity presents itself, serving on committees in student government, social committees, interactions with the faculty and university administration will simulate civic involvement in your future life. Your social committees and social awareness and interactions are all part of the laboratory in which you are privileged to participate. Some years ago, when Howard S. MacDonald was inaugurated president of Brigham Young University in an inaugural address entitled The Glory of God as Intelligence, Dr. Edwin A. Lee said, while I was an undergraduate at Columbia University, there was a man in attendance already known as a perennial student. He had been left a modest but adequate bequest 
with the stipulation that it should continue as long as he was engaged in collegiate study. Thereafter, the income was to be given to charity. When I returned for graduate work 12 years later, he was still there, and he remained a student until he died just a few years ago. There's a few wives who hope this isn't their husband. It was said that he had been granted every degree offered by Columbia and had taken practically every course. He was a man who was the epitome of erudition. No field of knowledge was foreign to him. He was probably more widely read than the best of his professors. He was a cultured gentleman, but he was not truly an intelligent man. Certainly such intelligence as he possessed was not that which is the glory of God. Inherently, he was selfish. He never married. He was without ambition or influence. He was a joke to the students, a freak to the faculty. He knew a prodigious lot, but his real index of intelligence was low, no matter what his intelligence quotient, end of quote. And so knowledge of facts alone can be of little value. In the 46th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 8, it tells us to beware, but ye are deceived. Seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they were given. They are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, that all may be benefited, that seek or that ask me. All have not every gift given to them. To some is given one, to some is given another. The key is that all may be profited thereby. May I repeat for emphasis that your gifts and talents are within you, that all may be profited thereby. And all these gifts come from God for the benefit of the children of God. He that asketh in spirit shall receive in spirit, in order that every member may be profited thereby. The reason you are here at the university is not solely to improve your value in the marketplace or for selfish reasons of intellectual gamesmanship. You are here for eternal perspective of learning, to enable you to stand on higher ground, to lift, to serve, to care for those in need around you, both in your family and in the communities in which you will reside. Thee lift me, and I'll lift thee, and we'll ascend together is a phrase that my companion has given me and my boys over the years. Thee lift me, and I'll lift thee, and we'll ascend together. Please remember to give. Before you leave this unique institution of learning, give appreciation. Deserve praise to members of this faculty and staff for their dedication to the eternal principles of learning. A sincere recognition of a teacher's contribution to your life is small payment for their sacrifice to share their gifts and talents with the many who pass through this marvelous institution without acknowledgement for their service. In closing, I'd like to talk a stewardship statement. It is not doctrine. It comes from President McKay. In June of 1965, a group of brethren in the Physical Facilities Department of the Church we're doing some work outside the Hotel Utah apartment of President McKay. As President McKay stopped to explain to them and give appreciation of the importance of their work in which they were engaged, he paused and told them the following things. 
Let me assure you, brethren, that someday you will have a personal priesthood interview with the Savior himself. If you are interested, I'll tell you the order in which he will ask you to account for your earthly responsibilities first. He will request an accountability report about your relationship with your wife. Have you actively been engaged in making her happy and ensuring that her needs have been met as an individual? Second, he will want an accountability report about each of your children individually. He will not attempt to have this for simply a family stewardship report, but will request information about your relationship to each and every child. Third, he will want to know what you personally have done with your talents you were given in the pre-existence. And that's where I've spent my time talking with you today. Fourth, he will want a summary of your activity in your church assignments. He will not necessarily be interested in what assignments you've had. For in his eyes, the home teacher, a mission president, and I'd like to add a general authority, are probably equals. But he will request a summary of how you have been of service to your fellow men in your church assignments. Fifth, he will have no interest in how you earned your living. But if you were honest in all your dealings. Sixth, he will ask for an accountability of what you have done to contribute in a positive manner to your community, state, country, and the world. May we be able to meet these tests with an affirmative answer and receive a loving response from him who will welcome us home. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It is my fervent desire that each of us will use our God-given intelligence to gain the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in our hearts to meet life's tests and trials and to endure to the end. May each of us use our gifts and talents to protect, love, lift each other in a caring way is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Learning True Understanding. We've just heard from Robert D. Hales. After the break, we'll return with Gary E. Stevenson for Lean Not Unto Thine Own Understanding. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Learning True Understanding. Next is Gary E. Stevenson, presiding Bishop of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled, Lean Not Unto Thine Own Understanding. It was just about 20 months ago in General Conference that I was sustained with Bishop Gerald Cosset and Bishop Dean Davies as the presiding bishopric. Now, since we were sustained, a question that is often asked of me is, what does the presiding bishopric do? I, too, had that same question. Charles W. Nibley, who was the presiding bishop of the Church from 1907 to 1925 and later became a member of the First Presidency, described their duty as follows. He said, The presiding bishop helps take care of the business and administration of the Church, 
so that the First Presidency can focus on more important spiritual matters. I think this is a good description of what we do. Under the direction of the First Presidency, we look over the construction and care of meeting houses and facilities throughout the world, oversee the Welfare Department, which includes bishop storehouses, Deseret Industries, and LDS Family Services. We also participate in the administration of humanitarian funds, which bless many of our Heavenly Father's children around the world afflicted by natural disasters or catastrophes. As the First Presidency announces new temples, they look to us to oversee the construction of them. We also see that scriptures and other materials are translated properly and distributed throughout the world. However, one of our great blessings is that we have the opportunity to meet with the First Presidency each Friday morning. This is a meeting which has been held for over a hundred years, I am told, and I can bear a personal witness to each of you that President Monson, President Eyring, and President Uchtdorf love each one of you. I can also testify that they are living prophets and that President Monson possesses and is authorized to exercise all priesthood keys. Well, BYU, what a beautiful place to receive an education. I think one of the most unforgettable and stunning sights seen on national TV comes each time network television cameras covering Cougar football games pan from Cougar Stadium to the majestic backdrop to the east of the Wasatch Mountains and Mount Timpanogos. Not only is this a beautiful place, but BYU has special meaning to my family as well, as my parents met, courted, and were married while students here. And what remarkable circumstances led to the establishment of this historic institution. The pedigree of institutional leadership is very impressive. I personally recall the tenure of past presidents, my memory first in the early 70s with President Ernest L. Wilkinson and then Elder Dallin H. Oaks, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, Rexy Lee, Elder Merrill J. Bateman, and now President Cecil O. Samuelson. I am deeply impressed with the leadership and vision of President Samuelson and his very capable team and treasure my association with him, which started many, many years ago. Late nights, early mornings, in between classes and work, my memory informs me that much of my life as a university student revolved around the library. Even now it evokes a plethora of memories. Some of those are fond and others are not so fond. For me, it was the library at Utah State University. Each time I entered, I was greeted by a sign over the entry which read, And with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, we all know that recall follows repetition. I therefore have this scripture. 
from the book of Proverbs engraved indelibly in my mind, reading it each time as I entered the library during my four years of undergraduate work. And so this morning, I would like to offer the same exhortation to each of you. And with all your getting, get understanding. And I would also like to invite you to think about its meaning and how you might benefit from it. I have done so. I have turned this in my mind over and over again. And my interpretation of its meaning has evolved considerably. Now perhaps you can benefit from some of my observations. As a young missionary in Japan struggling to learn a very difficult language, there were some vocabulary words which I heard early and often, greetings such as ohayou gozaimasu or konnichiwa were two of these, but another was wakarimasen. This means I don't understand. And this word, along with this hand expression that is used in Japan, which is a side-to-side hand expression, this seems to be one of the favorite responses from Japanese contacts directed towards young missionaries as they attempt to strike up conversations. It seems that the answer was always wakarimasen. Now, initially, as I reflected upon the meaning of and with all thy getting, get understanding, I thought of understanding more in terms of this type of comprehension, what I might hear with my ears and understand with my mind. I thought of the Japanese saying, wakarimasen, more as do I understand or do I not understand? And with all thy getting, get understanding. Or make certain to obtain a higher level of comprehension. However, as I have observed and studied the use of the word understanding in the scriptures, or from words of living prophets, I have come to realize a deeper meaning. So I'd like you to consider very carefully the words by Robert D. Hales. And you'll have to listen closely to these because there's great content in what he has said here. First, we start with the intelligence with which we were born. To our intelligence, we add knowledge as we search for answers, study, and educate ourselves. To our knowledge, we add experience which should lead us to a level of wisdom. In addition to our wisdom, we add the help of the Holy Ghost through our prayers of faith, asking for spiritual guidance and strength. Then, and only then, do we reach an understanding in our hearts which motivates us to do what is right Let the consequence follow. The feelings of an understanding heart give us the sweet spirit of assurance of not only knowing but doing 
what is right, no matter what the circumstances. The understanding in our hearts comes from a close interdependence of study and prayer. Okay, now consider again with what we've just read and with all thy getting get understanding. Understanding in this context follows intelligence, knowledge, experience, wisdom, and prompting from the Holy Ghost, all of which lead us to understanding to know and do what is right. Now, seated here today, most of you are approaching or have entered a critical intersection or crossroads in your life. Right now, with each year of your life that passes, you are becoming more independent and you are moving deeper into the and with all thy getting phase of your life. So what is it that you're going to be getting right now? Each of you think about the next three or four years in your life. It may be getting a husband or a wife, if you don't already have one. Or it might be children, your own family, that you'll be getting. Maybe it's something less significant, a car a job, a salary, we hope. It might be a house and a mortgage. These are some of the things that you're going to be getting in your life right now. Now, in order to manage these very important things that we get, one must obtain understanding, as the Scripture teaches us. This understanding comes through, remember, an interdependence of study and prayer. Okay, now said another way, one must have trust or reliance upon the Lord. Alma described this when he likened the word unto a seed, as he stated, for it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. If you listen closely to President Monson and his talks, he often quotes a scripture from Proverbs, which adds another dimension about this understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. So as we trust and rely on the Lord, a greater measure of understanding comes from Him into our heart rather than our own understanding, which comes to our head. Now, I've got a wonderful example that comes to us from a powerful woman who played a key role in the Restoration, who trusted in the Lord and leaned not unto her own understanding. Listen to this story that comes to us from Mother Smith. Shortly after the Church was organized in Palmyra, New York, Lucy Mac Smith, mother of the Prophet, remained in Palmyra with a large group of saints while her husband Joseph Sr. and her sons, including, of course, Joseph Jr., 
departed before her to Kirtland, Ohio. Now, her very large responsibility was to bring this group of saints to Ohio when she received word from Joseph. Well, word came in early spring 1831. And so Lucy, with the help of the brethren in this group, moved the group to Buffalo, New York, with the intention of making passage to Ohio by ship on Lake Erie. When they arrived in Buffalo, the lake was still iced over and passage was impossible. And conditions for the 80 saints were very uncomfortable, and murmuring began almost immediately. Lucy, relying on the Lord, had to unite their faith. And so, in her words, she said this, When the brethren considered the spring sufficiently open for traveling on the water, we all began to prepare for our removal to Kirtland. Once they arrived in Buffalo, she said, We hired a boat and we numbered 80 souls. However, the harbor leading to Lake Erie was apparently frozen solid. And so she says, quote, I then called the brethren and sisters together and reminded them that we were traveling by the commandment of the Lord, as much as Father Lehi was when he left Jerusalem. And if faithful, we had the same reasons to expect the blessings of God. I then desired them to be solemn and to lift their hearts to God continually in prayer that we might be prospered. This was done in the midst of great complaining. To the complainers she pleaded, quote, No, no, said I, you will not starve, brethren, nor anything of that sort. Only do be patient and stop your murmuring. I have no doubt but the hand of the Lord is over us. Now, the conditions on the ship that they were to take were not conducive for them to stay there. And so while they were awaiting notice of departure, they went to the ship, and Captain Blake, the captain of the ship they chartered, requested them, these 80 saints, to remain on board as he wished from that time to be ready to start at a moment's warning. At the same time, he sent out a man, part of his crew, to measure the depth of the ice, who, when he returned, reported that it was piled up to the height of 20 feet, and it was his opinion they would remain in the harbor at least two weeks longer. This was devastating news to the group. Supplies were low, food was short, and conditions were very difficult. So with this news, Lucy Max Smith records her further admonition to the saints. She said, You profess to put your trust in God. Then how can you feel to murmur and complain as you do? You are even more unreasonable than the children of Israel were. For here are my sisters pining for their rocking chairs. And brethren from whom I expected firmness and energy declare that they positively believe they shall starve to death before they get to the end of their journey. And why is it so? Have any of you lacked? Where is your faith? 
Where is your confidence in God? Can you not realize that all things were made by him, and he rules over the works of his own hands? And suppose that all the saints here should lift their hearts in prayer to God, the way might be opened before us. How easy it would be for him to cause the ice to break away so that in a moment we could be on our journey. Now, observe here the great faith of Mother Smith and how she chose to trust in the Lord. And she asked these saints with her to not lean unto their own understanding. She says this, Now, brethren and sisters, if you will, all of you, raise your desires to heaven, that the ice may be broken up and we be set at liberty, as sure as the Lord lives, it will be done. At that instant, a noise was heard like bursting thunder. The captain cried, Every man to his post. The ice parted, leaving barely a passage for the boat, and so narrow that as the boat passed through, the buckets of the water wheel were torn off with a crash, which, joined to the word of command from the captain, the hoarse answering of the sailors, the noise of the ice, and the cries of the confusion of the spectators, presented a scene truly terrible. We had barely passed through the avenue when the ice closed again, and the Colesville brethren were left in Buffalo unable to follow us. Another group of the Colesville saints were also there waiting to go through. She continues, As we were leaving the harbor, one of the bystanders exclaimed, There goes the Mormon company. That boat is sunk in the water nine inches deep, deeper than it ever was before, and mark it, she will sink. There is nothing sure. In fact, they were so sure of it that they went straight to the news office and had it published that we were sunk, so that when we arrived at Fairport, we read in the papers the news of our own death. The faith of Sister Lucy Mac Smith not leaning unto her own understanding. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Or, said another way, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I have personally observed the heartbreak and personal havoc wrought upon those whose focus is on the worldly getting and not the Lord's understanding. It seems that those who lean unto their own understanding or rely on the arm of the flesh are more likely to develop a disproportionate focus or obsession almost for material gain, prestige, power, and position. Keeping the getting in accordance with this scriptural guidance of understanding will temper your temporal appetite. 
This will allow the proper context for your activities as a student, as a productive member of society, and of the Lord's kingdom. I remember when I was a young student, full of aspiration. I remember listening to a respected and successful mentor suggest that one should appropriately manage ambitions. Ambition is a positive thing. But to appropriately manage those ambitions by following an order of learn, earn, serve. This had great impact on me as a young student. President Hinckley taught the same thing in a different way. He taught a pattern which leads to trusting in the Lord and relying on Him rather than ourselves. He taught that each of us has a fourfold responsibility. First, we have a responsibility to our families, second, to our employers, third, to the Lord's work, fourth, we have a responsibility to ourselves, a balance, if you will. He suggested that we fulfill this fourfold responsibility through family prayer, family home evening, and scripture study, honesty and loyalty to your employer, fulfilling your church responsibilities, and personal scripture study, rest, recreation, and exercise. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, This time, like all times, is a very good one if we but know what to do with it. Fortunately, Latter-day Saints never have to look very far to know what to do. And so this is your time now. With your knowledge of a loving Heavenly Father and the great plan of happiness, you all have your rudders deep in the water. And so now put your oars in deeply as well and pull hard and even. In a recent talk, President Monson quoted the scripture from Proverbs, as he had done before, and we'll read this one more time. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He then said this, That has been the story of my life. And what a great life to emulate. I have great expectations for each of you, as does the Lord. And so I finish where I began today with the exhortation found in Proverbs. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Real understanding. This will come to you as you realize the interdependence of study and prayer as you maintain a commitment to serve while learning and earning, and as you lean not unto yourself, but rely or trust in the Lord. I offer my testimony of the divinity of this, the Lord's work, and of Jesus Christ, and of His role as our Savior and our Redeemer, and I do so 
In the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Learning True Understanding with thoughts from Robert D. Hales and Gary E. Stevenson. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.